Emma. How you doing? I'm alright, how are you? I'm alright. Are you ready for some History of Sexy? I really am. I really, really am. Good. Livia is here as well. She's ready for some sexy history to um, stare happily at me. (laughs) She's sitting as though she is at my laptop. It's very cute. It's very, very good. She's She's a faithful assistant and friend. She is. At any minute she'll stop purring and freak everybody out and... Um, they'll think that they have a weird hum in their house. <laughs> a weird but beautiful hum. A weird but beautiful hum. Um, but what are we talking about this week, Janina? What what question are we answering? We are answering. That is a good question that I don't have in front of me. We are <laughs> answering. <laughs> Professional. We are answering a question for um, Sarah Meishlakom, um or Meishlakom. I feel like and we should Sarah said... tweeted us to say that one of the pronunciations we did of her name was right, but very cleverly, in order to make sure that we didn't do it correctly again, she, she didn't uh, did not tell us which tell one. Us which one. So um, none of us will ever know except for her. <laughs> so. It's either Mish or Mish Lacombe. Um Also, her actual question isn't in this document, so I don't know how she phrased it, but she asked about conspiracy theories in the French Revolution. Yeah, she asked um, what. She just asked us to tell her about some conspiracy theories on the French Revolution, um, specifically looking at the Illuminati and the fact, the notion that they um, made hundreds and hundreds of um, books out of human skin, mm. out of the guillotine victims. And also, as I was investigating that, I discovered that they were also stories that... Um, a large amount of the Revolutionary Army was clothed in um, leather trousers made of human skin and that there was, in fact, a huge tannery um, in France um, which was dedicated exclusively to the creation of clothing from um, human skin. Just mass-produced leather faces. Mass-produced leather trousers, specifically, like leather culottes. (laughs) Um, and lovely trousers, and there um, is quite a lot of stuff about what the best kind of skin is to use, which is all not true, <laughs> because that's mad. Yeah. Um, but uh, before we get to that bit, hopefully we're going to have time for it, because it's good fun. Um, we're going to talk about the conspiracy theory that the Illuminati were secretly behind, were the true movers behind the French Revolution. Which uh, accidentally sent me into just an existential spiral Um, because it's like, it it just, I I, I don't know if it has made me more sort of zen about the current state of affairs or if it has dropped me into a well of despair about humanity's capabilities just to be reasonable people um because it's like i was saying as i was saying before we started recording it is these people could be guests on joe rogan's podcast like (laughs) we people simply never ever change and we never get smarter and we never get more media literate we just (laughs) continue to make fucking wild claims because we can't (laughs) understand that other people might be different to us it is really something it's really something (laughs) It makes me want to people. become like, and and not actually, it makes me dread the idea of, but also in a way where I'm fascinated to, to become like a historical sociologist because it's, it's very, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. People are wild. See, this is what I quite like, kind of this kind of cultural history, history of ideas kind of thing, um, which is the. This like basically big things happen, and then there will always be some people who don't want it to be a big complex thing. They want it to be a simple thing yeah. that they can explain, and they can say, "Okay, it was this one thing. I can deal with one thing." Yeah. Um. So introduction to the French Revolution in about ten seconds, because you can either do the French Revolution in a million hours or ten <laughs> seconds, and you can't really do anything in between. Um. <laughs> But it is a very complicated series of events, which officially begins in 1789. And which, we've, um, as we've previously discussed on this podcast, was kind of caused by a volcano. Which was basically caused by a volcano. Um, 
because the volcano uh, went off and caused terrible harvests in large swathes of Europe and those terrible like for harvests... years and years years and years of volcanic winter that led to low food production that led to yeah. high food prices led to high food prices which occurred at the same time in france as a massive economic crisis caused by france putting loads of money into the american revolution supporting the american revolution um and spending loads of money on things that they shouldn't really have been spending money on (laughs) (laughs) um and um then also having a very regressive taxation policy or what was perceived to be a very progressive taxation policy where the poor felt like they were paying much more than the churches and the aristocracy mm-hmm. um exacerbated by um a feudal system where a very tiny amount of aristocrats made all of the decisions and were extremely extremely resistant to any kind of social or political change um and were very very conservative um combined with the rise of um, a political culture which made politics a public talking matter across Europe um, and the Enlightenment, um, which all came together to cause a um, very, very complicated, (laughs) um, very, very long, spread out decade of crises and terrors and governments rising and falling mm-hmm. um i mean a sen- the- it kind of lasted for a century which i think we mean like there's just it's revolutions just and going. counter-revolutions over and over again um until they finally form a republic in at the end of the 19th century um and 1789 like the first um can like national council kicks off um and in 1793 most importantly like the most significant event um is the overthrow and the beheading of louis the 16th um and marie antoinette yeah Uh, so that's kind of like the the big central thing at which everyone else in europe says oh oh hang on (laughs) (laughs) hang on a minute um this is something that is actually happening now um that we can't just pretend is something it's just some kind of weird unrest in france they've actually beheaded the king it's gotten quite real They've beheaded him right off. Yeah. Um, and then that's followed by uh, the terror, where lots and lots of people were beheaded um, due to the that government being um, quite conspiracy-minded themselves mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and believing that everybody was a counter-revolutionary and therefore beheading basically everyone. Um yeah, which is pretty pretty standard for like a hostile takeover government. You have to then kill all your rivals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a fairly bloody time. It's very complicated. It involved lots of arguments. Everybody's arguing with each other. There's about a billion different factions um going on at any given time. As I say, things rise, things fall, things collapse, they've all got a name. Um and I'm not going into it. So that's that's the French <laughs> Revolution. Um But it basically caused even more than the American Revolution had. So the American Revolution is obviously 1776 um, and is the breaking away of a colony from the British. Um, And that had been upsetting. But one, it was very far away. Mm -hmm. um, And two, it was a colony breaking off. Like it wasn't... No, nobody hurt the king and nobody did anything to a church and so... no violence was happening in front of anyone here it was just yeah. some british men went away. over essentially to a war and then they lost the war and came back home and it was kind of if i feel like your everyday experience of that as a person in england is much the same as any other war whereas the french revolution is close it's in the streets of paris it's like streets running with blood it's right there it's right there and the... French monarchy is, you know, it's a very ancient, a very prestigious, like for the whole of British history, the French have been like the guys that you simultaneously hate and also want to marry into. Yeah. Um, So it really shook people up around the world um, or around Europe when um, the monarchy was executed. That was really shocking Um, and particularly upset conservatives for obvious reasons who are largely... Um, counter-enlightenment thinkers. So this is the same time that the Enlightenment is happening, um, the kind of sweeping philosophical, scientific 
thought revolution, um, <laughs> which is introducing um, rationality, is introducing concepts of liberal democracy and liberalism. It's introducing starting... Latin to English grammar. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, making people think about uh, how much they bloody love the Romans, which we're going to get into in a bit. Um, and starting to um, question the hegemony of the church and the concept of monarchy. Um, and one of the immediate reactions to the French Revolution, um, like in 89, 90, when it starts kicking off, is that the, it was the Enlightenment's fault. Um, and that specifically philosophers had gone around undermining trust and belief in the church and undermining trust in the monarchy and Basically making people think. Spreading seditious ideas. Spreading stupid ideas like that kings are bad um, or that they can um, rule themselves uh, and that they can be citizens rather than subjects as if being a subject is a bad thing. And that it is um, valid to have an opinion and feelings about policies that impact your life. Exactly. Mm. Um, so one of the earliest English language responses is from Edmund Burke, who's an English politician um, and thinker, um, who immediately just blamed the entirety of philosophy. Mm-hmm, pretty sure. much the concept of philosophy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which he didn't like at all. Um, he was very against the idea um, of materialism. He didn't believe that freedom and equality were things that humans should be dealing with particularly. He considered mm-hmm. them to be very different things and that they were things that should be judged by God, um, not by people, and that by attempting to engage with those things as people and say that you like fight for freedom, that you were attempting to fight God, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that liberty was a construct of law, not a um not a fundamental premise or like a not a fundamental abstract thing yeah um, he doesn't like abstract thought particularly <laughs> as a concept um and he blamed a literary cabal that had something like a regular plan for the destruction of the christian religion sure yeah so find of as soon as it starts happening people think that philosophers are responsible yeah um as Which, it then gets, to be fair, they're not they not. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 did expand the way that people thought about themselves and their lives, and that's one of yeah. the things that led to them being discontented with the general state of things. And it they, yeah, and they uh, they did then um, get involved in politics and say to people, "Hey, look, if you want, you can vote for stuff." And they were like, "That sounds quite fun." Um, uh-huh. And also, I'm very hungry. <laughs> I understand why that person gets to have so much stuff and I barely have anything. I have zero stuff. Mm. Um, Yeah. So the revolution continues chucking on. The terror happens. Bad things are going on. It was beginning to look dodgy over there. Um, And, you know, a week is a long time in politics. Seven years is a very, very long time in politics. Um, Mm -hmm. And it does go on for a long time. By 1797, it's been going on for eight years. um, And... Uh, two guys independently write books um, which are the first attempts to do kind of um, grand theory, grand narrative stories of um, why the revolution happened. Yeah. Uh, they both are, one is French, one is Scottish. Neither of them are people you'd invite to a dinner party. Um, <laughs> and both of them claim independently but hilariously that the revolution was was conceived of was arranged and was led by a small german group of um evil bastards called the illuminati (laughs) yeah um and this is the first time that the illuminati appears in conspiratorial thinking and they never go away. <laughs> it's also the first time, um, well, I don't actually know off myself, but this is the first time, one of the essays I read about it claimed that it was the first time that there was a, like a widespread conspiracy theory printed out yeah. in detail and distributed to the general population. Like it was the first time there was a counter-narrative available to people for people to read um, ever. <laughs> 
Pretty much, yeah. Like the people that somebody put together like a grand anti-theory. Yeah. How the world changed and how big things happened. One of the books said, why do bad things happen to good people? It was like, was the theory of, like basically that's the theory of conspiracy. Like I'm a good person and bad things happening. Why are they happening? Must be a conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of makes sense when you think about like the, like the, I don't know. I've just been like reading the um, the Odyssey, which is which is a very great example of ancient Greek theology in that everything is done by the gods. And if you are being yeah. suffering bad luck, it's because a god doesn't like you, whether you deserve yeah, them just not to like you like or whether you. they just they you just piss them off for no reason. <laughs> that, There's that, nothing that's you can why, do about yeah, it. Yeah, that's why bad things are happening to you because someone up there hates you. And then you get in the version of that in sort of uh, m- more like early modern Christian Europe is that if you if bad things happen to you, it is because you have sinned and you are being you are reaping the consequences of your own sin. And then if bad things are happening to you and you don't believe that you are a sinner, then you have to find another explanation. One of the major theories of the fall of the Western Roman Empire in the fifth and sixth centuries um, was. Um, among church people was that God was punishing the Romans for not being Christian enough. (laughs) Um, And that this was a punishment for persecuting Christians and then for not not being pious enough after they had um, accepted it as a state religion. Um, And that, you know, it's very, very widespread throughout the fifth century um, of um, sermons telling people in kind of along the borderlands where new people are taking over and where there's been massive changes of saying, like, if you prayed harder, if you were better, if you weren't having extramarital sex, if you weren't sleeping with your servant girls, then this wouldn't be happening to you. It's because you're not a good enough Christian. Yeah. Oh, which is wild. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious. It did a lot of damage. You know, it's hurt, hurt people. But it is also like, how else can you respond to it, I guess? I think we're just, uh, yeah. humans aren't very good at, at accepting the reality that there's a, a lot about the world and about our own lives that we just can't control. And if we feel like we're not in control, it's easier to believe that someone who wishes us harm is in control than to just believe that, you know, sometimes yeah. it'd be like that. And it was a nice explanation as to that could be grasped. Um, And one of the things I read said that the useful thing about so the two people who um, introduced this theory are a French uh, Jesuit priest. We're going to be talking about Jesuits a lot. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Called Abbe Augustine de de Bariel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Scottish natural scientist um, who is sometimes called a chemist but he believed that what he called enlightenment chemistry which is I think chemistry which involves experiments um, was godless and materialist uh-huh. so I don't know that we want to call him a chemist no <laughs> he's mostly just a guy but he's um, <laughs> uh, a natural scientist he's like a classic natural scientist of the uh, like Pliny form, he likes to think and write things down. Mm. Um, so they're two guys, um, and they uh, both come up John with John this... Robinson. That's John yeah. Robinson. His name is. Um, so they come up with these theories separately, um, and basically they are both um, theories which do not explain, like general modern historical theories of the French Revolution, will explain why the state was weak, why the Ancien regime was weak enough that it could be overthrown. Mm. The theories that Barrel and Robeson came up with are not about why it was weak because self-evidently to them it was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But um, why the conspirators, quote unquote, were so strong and why the revolutionaries were able to overthrow it anyway. Um, And their theory is the Illuminati. Yeah. So before we talk about their theories, I'm going to tell you who the Illuminati actually are and why they're talking about them. Um, so the Illuminati are not um, shape-shifting lizards from the 16th dimension, like David Icke would <laughs> like you to believe. Um, and they are not a kind of secretive, uh, mysterious... Well, they are a secretive, mysterious society, uh, but they are a secretive, mysterious society of fucking nerds. Uh, <laughs> who were founded in 1776, uh, same year as the 
American Revolution in Ingolstadt, which is just outside of Munich, Mm -hmm. by a professor of canon law um, at the University of Ingolstadt called Adam Weishaupt. Mm -hmm. Um, He is a, a professor of canon law and philosophy, which seem to go together fine um who is the only non-jesuit member of staff in his department uh-huh the jesuits are an order within the catholic church um and they are uh, in the same way that like the franciscans are an order or the benedictines um and they are an exclusively explicitly um evangelical order so Mm -hmm. their mission as far as they're concerned is to proselytize um and to get into positions of power so that they can use their positions of power to proselytize more often so they're often in schools they often open missionaries uh pope francis is a jesuit um and they are they're considered their specific mission to be evangelical yeah um so that's what a Jesuit is, in case you don't know. Um, so he's the only non-Jesuit member of staff at his institution, and he is very, very grumpy about the fact that, <laughs> that everyone he keeps does... witnessing at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, more that he is not getting promotions, he is not mm-hmm. being put on good committees, he's not getting the good research leave, um, because all of that is going to Jesuits instead, and he becomes very, very anti-church as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is likes... that, like that seems on. Honestly, that seems fair. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he does like the Freemasons quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Freemasons are quite popular at this time um, because societies in general are quite big at this time. Like joining a society where you talk about stuff is like really, really fashionable. (laughs) Yeah, being in some sort Um, of exclusive club where you feel smart because you're a member. And then you sit around and they like book groups. You'll get yeah. together and read a book group. Um, so anyway, he really likes the Freemasons, but he really hates that they're quite into religion and theosophy mm-hmm. and spiritualism and stuff like that. So he decides he's going to start his own little secret society, which he originally calls. It's him and three of his students. <laughs> so, And this is basically uh, that little club from Secret History. <laughs> Uh, and they call themselves the Order of Perfectibility, otherwise known as the Perfectibilists. Aww, these nerds. They're nerds. <laughs> um, but they eventually get so fed up of having to explain this to people um, <laughs> that they decide that they're going to have to change their name after a year. Mm-hmm. Um a name that is mooted is the Order of the Bees or the Bee Order. That's adorable. I wish they'd gone with that. I feel like they would not. Bees are much be more interesting about... iconography than triangles. Yeah, I feel like no one would ever accuse them of attempting to overthrow anything if they were just the order <laughs> of the bees. Um, which, according to a book that I found, which claims to be a translation of their original documents, but is only on weirdo websites, so I don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is inspired by a Rosicrucian understanding of the importance of bees in the Eleusinian mysteries. Um, where Because the thing that Adam likes bestest is pretending that he is a Greek or Roman, which he seems to think are basically the same thing. Sure. Um, the Eleusinian mysteries are a mystery cult um, in classical Rome, uh, classical Rome, classical Athens, sorry. Um and um, they they were very famous in the ancient world as being like the cool mystery cult. Um, there's and you would um, there's a, a version of a spider woman in the comics who this is how she got her powers. By going to the Eleusinian I'm mysteries. Not, I'm not kidding. There's like an alternate universe where there's like a cult about wasps and a cult about spiders. <laughs> and the spider Amazing. cult gives her spider powers so that she can fight the wasps. Well, that's delightful. The wasps and the spiders. That would be uh-huh. a much better version of this. Um, Maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe they were trying to give people B based superpowers. I think that they were going for, like, they have this weird under- like weird belief that the Greeks thought the bees were sacred or divine in some way. Um, anyway. Anyway, he decided that was dumb, because it is. Um <laughs> So instead, they went with the Order of the Illuminati, the Illuminati Orden, mm-hmm. um, which means the Enlightened Ones. Mm-hmm. 
So they're twats now. Yeah, they're saying um, that they're smarter than everyone else, just explicitly they are, putting they it on the team. They do yeah. believe that they are smarter than everyone else. They have a little, their symbol is a little owl of Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, they have aliases. So Vaishaupt calls himself Spartacus. Another one calls himself Ajax. And that's what they call themselves when they're in their little club meeting. Amazing. <laughs> They're such nerds. Everyone wants to have their little games and secrets, and and it's adorable. Um, And they set up, like, little grades where you're, like, a Minervel, and then you become an Illuminatus, and then you go through the little grades. And the main way that you get through the little grades is by reading um, Continental Enlightenment philosophy. So you you read some Spinoza. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you get... That's how you go up. The more you've read, the higher up you get, basically. But they never really worked that out, um, which is why they collapsed fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. But they very interestingly decided to become freemasons in order to recruit members from within freemasonry oh okay so they all became we know these guys like a club let's get them to come to ours um and so they went and then they would find the ones who didn't like the church Mm -hmm. um and they'd be like do you want to come and join our club instead or as well Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because um we don't like the church as well their aim was um to spread enlightenment thought, to oppose superstition, to oppose religious influence in public life, and to end all injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to introduce general freedom and equality amongst men without any violent revolution, to reform the world and eventually abolish both the church and the monarchy, replacing them with a rational philosophical religion and to replace monarchy with liberal democracy or a form of liberal democracy. So they they started out all right. They got a little bit carried away. They do. And this is something that brings them down eventually because they... um, they kind of go on. They do manage to recruit some quite high up people as they are going, mm-hmm. um, including Goethe, the great German um, author of Faust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's one. <laughs> um, and a bunch of other people, Karl August of Weimar, the Duke of Braunschweig, mm-hmm. um, Duke Ernst of Saxe-Gotha. Um, a couple of students of Kant, Immanuel Kant, joined. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of dukes and things join. Um, and they have this guy um, called Kniffler, um, who is like really good at recruiting people, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very, very strong anti-clerical, anti-Jesuit stance. Um, where they really hate the church. He just—it's—it's uh, it's really inspiring that he managed to get his petty hatred of the Jesuits based on the fact that they kept getting promoted above him at work. He yeah, managed to infiltrate he that through the entire organization. He did, and they did spread quite far, quite quickly, um, largely because of um, just a focus on recruitment above all else. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this stuff that I read about it was like they never really came up with a process for actually having anything other than recruitment. <laughs> like they focused, uh-huh. it's like an MLM, like they focused on recruitment and then never really got any further. Mm-hmm. So they had no plans for what to do with people once they got them. They never really managed to get anybody moving through the ranks or mm-hmm. building lodges or doing any of the admin stuff that comes with running a massive secret society. Yeah. And eventually there was this massive dramatic falling out between the two main guys um, because one of them, um, Weishaupt is very radical um, and he is quite um, strong that he genuinely does want to see the end of monarchies and the end of the church as Mm -hmm. quickly as possible. He doesn't want a violent revolution, but he wants everybody, he basically quite sweetly thinks that if everybody just reads the right, philosophy the right work then they'll realize and they'll be correct and that is what he thinks yeah this is I, I honestly have a lot of sympathy with this because i feel like yeah i get it i feel i feel like the world is terrible and i have some ideas about how it could not be terrible and <laughs> i don't believe like i do believe in democracy so the only solution is like for everyone to just agree with me so if i could find <laughs> yeah. a way to have that happen then we could like end poverty and you do sometimes feel like, oh, if you just read this thing, then you'd get it. I mean, um, I have at times in my life thought, if this person just listened to this one song and truly understood the lyrics, <laughs> then they would feel exactly as I want them to feel. Yeah. 
Um, and that spoilers <laughs> it doesn't almost never um but he, that was his feeling very strongly and he was quite radical and he wouldn't moderate his like statement that he wanted freedom and equality and the vi- abolishment of the church when he was talking to people um and other people within the organization said oh maybe we should start out a bit more moderate um <laughs> and just maybe see how we go can't maybe find some achievable measurable smart goals um <laughs> and see where we go from there uh that didn't happen um and eventually they just had quite a a a, a personal falling out <laughs> um that collapsed the organization and at about the same time um the jesuits within germany um or within bavaria specifically um were pushing against secret societies in general mm-hmm. because a large amount of them are anti-church and so all which is just what secret- was going to happen if it's like if you, if the establishment is bound up in the church which is enormously powerful and has ludicrous amounts of money they are the thing to set yourself against like that is they the church is the man in this scenario yeah. and these are little punks who, who they are little punks um and they got banned yeah um, and they were kind of forcibly disbanded. Admittedly, I feel like this probably wasn't that effective because they were banned in 1784. Mm-hmm. And then that injunction, that edict was repeated in 1785, 1787 and 1790. Right. If it's and generally, it's... if you're repeating stuff, <laughs> yeah. uh, it means that the first one didn't work. Yeah. Um, but that was potentially the Freemasons and various other societies because this whole secret handshake calling yourself a king of whatever magus of something Having giving a yourself a fancy pin in your lapel and that sort of yeah thing. it was all very popular yeah um but it they had effectively fallen apart by that time but they had like a five-year period where they genuinely had like um members technically who were had signed on to this idea of a kind of radical enlightenment <laughs> thinking where they would were going to work towards the abolishment of the monarchy and the abolishment of the church. Um, And they were kind of well known enough that people in France who were involved in the revolution had heard of them (laughs) and who had had talked about them. So the Count of Mirabeau, who is involved in the beginning, kind of wrote about them a bit and said, basically, they have a noble mission but their way of going about it is imprudent mm-hmm. and not it didn't work out great. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what the Illuminati are. And then no one really seems to know what happened to um, Weishaupt after the collapse. He just presumably went back to his normal life. He didn't die until 1830. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't do anything. Like, he doesn't do anything after this. Yeah. He just goes back to living his normal life somewhere. Um, some people say that he was expelled from Bavaria, but those are people who, I think that's Baruel's theory. <laughs> sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than anything real. And so it's kind of wild. I assume he was a bit like, uh, what the fuck? When kind of 10 years after his little project where he was Spartacus collapsed around him. Mm-hmm. Um, He's suddenly getting his... blamed for yeah. a bloody so- revolution. <laughs> Suddenly people are saying that he caused a revolution <laughs> and that he is like a mastermind behind the scenes. Yeah. Um like the puppet master of the French Revolution. <laughs> he was either a lot of when these books came out, a lot of um a lot of Freemasons were like, No, we didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> um and there were quite a lot of furious rebuttals um but i would find it quite funny if he was like yeah maybe i did Mm. (laughs) you don't you can't prove i didn't yeah and you're saying i did so maybe i did Mm. um yeah uh so that's what the illuminati actually is uh just a group of weird nerds who then had an argument (laughs) bless them bless them they just wanted to Uh, like feel special they did and they believed they could change the world they really briefly did for a second there it must have looked very good for a while Um, and then along comes Baruel who leaves France after the revelation Um, did you read about him 
Um, I read mostly about what he wrote. I didn't read too much about his life, just that he had, I think, one, something claimed that he was sort of exiled, but I don't know if that's real or yeah. if he just sort of potted off because he didn't like the way the winds were blowing, which is fair. Um, <laughs> but he came to England, wrote his, a four, began a four-volume uh, ser- book, essentially, on the revolution and the Illuminati, the first volume of which was really successful, had multiple editions, editions printed in its first year and then the following volumes just became successively less so and more criticised because it yeah. was becoming clear that he just saw conspiracy and everything and he, he was actually not basing any of it on fact yeah um, it's a real um, difficult second and also third album syndrome um <laughs> But yeah, so he writes this book called The Memoirs Illustrating the History of Jacobinism um, because he really hates Jacobins, Jacobins being yet another society (laughs) of philosophers and thinkers um, in France who were involved in the revolution, um, uh, who are Enlightenment um, rationalists. Uh, So he fucking hates them. He hates everybody. Um, (laughs) His book is quite fun. Uh, and I read one of those, like one of those editions from the 18th century, which has F's for S's, Excellent. Uh, which makes it even more fun to read because <laughs> <laughs> there's facts and um, <laughs> doing conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. So he has kind of a tripartite theory that he puts together. Um, which is that there are different sects, but they're all working together under the um, guidance of the Illuminati and the Jacobins who are working together to destroy society from the ground up. Yeah, Um, they're they're basically driven by deliberately by the philosophers of the Enlightenment. That everything was planned from the start and the philosophers came in with their ideologies and then they had the Illuminati for, like, recruitment and the Freemasons for, uh, like, structure and organisation because the Freemasons have all these handy lodges where you can uh, run your your revolutions from. Yeah. Um, So he specifically... He has a list of people that he specifically blames uh, for each part. So for the um, anti-Christian conspiracy, uh, so part one is philosophers who confuse people and mislead them and make them prideful mm-hmm. and make them doubt the church um, like silly people. Um, so Voltaire, obviously, mm-hmm. hates Voltaire, yeah. thinks that Voltaire is effectively the Antichrist. <laughs> um, <laughs> just just really doesn't like him at all. Uh, D'Alembert, um, who is a mathematician, Mm-hmm. Um, hates him. Uh, Denis Diderot, who's another philosopher. Um, those two together wrote a thing called the the Encyclopedia, l'Encyclopédie, um, which was kind of this um rationalist attempt to write the first encyclopedia, essentially. Mm-hmm. Which um, <laughs> Burwell thinks is the most disgusting thing anyone has ever done. <laughs> It's as if they have done a big shit on his own doorstep. Like, he genuinely is appalled by the encyclopedia <laughs> and considers the encyclopedists to be devils, um, which is just hilarious. <laughs> um, so those guys fucking hate them. And then Frederick II of Prussia. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, who uh, is a big... Uh, like patron of the arts and philosophers and therefore he considers him to be a bastard as well sure so, right because he went, those went people, and gave all these philosophers room to philosophize yeah um and anti-philosopher thinking is rife amongst like conservatives and counter um enlightenment people yeah like they think that that philosophies um are just um leading people astray are actively a bad influence on society they're giving people ideas above their station um yeah and they hate it i really enjoyed Um, this quote uh where he says it is not books that make artisans or farmers (laughs) because how dare someone read when their job is just to farm they don't need to read and it just is gonna make you shitty and i uh 
I put a wee quote of my own beside my notes on that one to just say, it's not right for a woman to read. Soon she starts getting ideas and thinking. Exactly. Because it's How always time she? for a Beauty and the Beast quote. quote <laughs> in my house. Exactly. Uh, so that's the opening of the memoir. That's outstanding. Okay, so that's part one. Then part two, you have uh, the lads who he thinks are undermining the monarchy, mm-hmm. um, who are specifically Rousseau, um, and Montesquieu, Count de Montesquieu, mm-hmm. um, who he thinks have, inf- like, he thinks that all these people have infiltrated the upper classes, basically, specifically to cause chaos. Um, yeah. So he blames them for making people think that they can govern themselves, for making them believe that all kings are tyrants and despots, um, and believing themselves to be citizens rather than subjects. Right, yeah. Um which obviously is ludicrous. Um, and then part three is the anti-social conspiracists um, who are the Freemasons and the Illuminati. Um, he thinks there are 300,000 Illuminati members in every government in the world working to undermine civil society and institute anarchy. Mm-hmm. My personal favourite bit is when he says that he saw people running in the streets of Paris shouting, Liberté, Equalité, Fraternité, uh-huh. which he understood to be the masonic code words that you shouted to <laughs> let other people know that, that you, you were also a mason of the upper classes yeah um the thing with Burwell is that he genuinely truly does not believe that the public can have an opinion yeah he he Views opinion as not rational because it's not fact. Yeah. And he doesn't it, distinguish between like widespread social shared beliefs and just personal opinion that is based on nothing. Yeah. Um, and he, like up until this point in a lot of, you know, in France particularly, but in a lot of Europe, like the idea that the masses could have an opinion on something and that the aristocracy, the monarchy would pay attention to that is ludicrous um, because the king is like well mm, i was put here by god and you weren't so and you were put there by god so go fuck yourselves and now they're like well actually i think i should have an opinion and i have some thoughts about this and um i'd like to have a conversation about it and they're like no go fuck yourself so we'll, we'll cut your head off yeah um and it is like easy to look at that and be like this is obviously this is these are, are wild opinions. It is wild to believe that people don't shouldn't have a say yeah. in their own lives. But essentially, he believes they literally can't have a say in their own lives. He just literally does not think. He thinks that they have been completely duped. So they are basically yeah. like sentient mashed potato and who, like, or sheep that have been led down the wrong direction. Obviously, it's very easy from now and here where we take those things for granted to to just be like, well, obviously he was an idiot and he was wrong about everything, but. Essentially, what it is is, like, when these things spiral out, as they do every so often, it's because someone likes the system. Like, the system is working for someone, so they fundamentally cannot see why anyone would want (laughs) to change it because they don't see why it isn't working for other people. Yeah. And obviously, we we know that the system was a deeply hierarchical monarch appointed by God, hyper-religious thing, and if if you believe that that was normal and someone came along and said, what if this is bad? I can understand that being terrifying as a prospect. It's the upending yeah, of everything and, that you have always assumed to be true. Um, yeah, and he cannot understand that people would genuinely believe that the system that was working for him, that he thought was great, yeah. was, like the thing that, was bad. That lives in my head constantly about the current disastrous situation politically in the states is this one little vox pop of this woman who was a trump voter in the hell it was taken during the hell week that was the 2020 election and she just you know this reasonable middle-aged sounding woman just could not see any reality in which biden won the election without fraud because she just couldn't see why people would vote for him in enough numbers to win him the presidency. And that's where things fall down, is where you can't understand that your position in the world is not shared by everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just a complete lack of ability to see in the world through other people's eyes. Yeah. Uh, which a surprising amount of people have. Yeah. And that's why he comes up with this 
large theory, a lot of which is spent just describing um, describing how the Freemasons work um, and drawing pictures of them. Yeah. Um, one of which is a like an org chart, basically, of the Illuminati, um, which was then later the next year used by the British to attempt to prove that the United Irishmen, um, uh-huh. who were at the time attempting to leave the revolution in Ireland, um, were led by the Illuminati because they had the same org chart. But the org chart is like there's a person at the top and then under them they have like three people and each person under that has like three people. And you're like, okay, well, that's describing my place of everyone's place of work. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, this is a system of line managers. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just a line management system. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this is quite the slam dog that you think it is. Um, but anyway, so there's a lot of like describing um, the Masons and then describing the Illuminati and then going... Therefore, they were behind the um, the revolution because they want these things and these things have happened. So, therefore, they must have done it, yeah. essentially. Um, and it's, as you say, it was very popular. The first edition was very popular. Like yeah. The first one that came out was immediately translated into English. Um, caught on, was discussed in Parliament. Um was um spread around the world in russia they went mad for it and in bits of america in like virginia and new england um it really caught on with churches there mm-hmm. um obviously at the time in america the republicans were um the kind of more radical guys uh-huh. <laughs> um and so democratic leaders or leaders of the church were arguing that um the republicans were in fact the party of the illuminati um and that the republicans were working for the overthrow of civil society mm-hmm. um and that they had been infiltrated by um by the illuminati which i find very funny in the context of now <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, very funny yeah, but there's all these sermons um, from New England, particularly, uh, where um, priests were writing about how the Republican, how the Illuminati had overthrown the French, um, and now they were coming for us. And you, it was Thomas Jefferson is yeah. <laughs> the guy. Anyway, so that's very fun. Um, but it, the more that he published, the more and really tried to hammer home this idea, the more people were like, I mean, have you not got anything else to say? Yeah, he just, um, like, he, it was, it's giving him enough rope to hang himself, really. It's like, <laughs> he's just, there's only so much you can say about this without, at, you know, actively showing that you're talking absolute nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, God bless him, he was, because eventually people started saying things like, and how did they infiltrate the entire thing and he would not really didn't really have any answers for that yeah um, i really yeah. enjoy uh uh the the um the take of the, uh, joseph de maestra who just points out that if if the illuminati were as powerful as Burrell is claiming that they were then how is he able to just talk about them openly all over yeah. the world <laughs> would they not be doing something to stop these books getting out yeah um although i really fun thing is to you won't do not find this so much on conspiracy websites anymore um but i did do some poking around to see like whether it still exists um and i did find a couple of places um where they are still talking so topsecretwriters.com which currently has a quote from conor mcgregor at the top of it mm-hmm. which i think is just about everything that you need to know about that <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um conspiracy archive um which again sounds great um <laughs> extremely reputable. basically yeah are still writing about this idea in the kind of weird detail that conspiracy theorists do and the fun thing about Burrell is that he does the thing that conspiracy theorists do do, which is just give you tons and tons and tons of verifiable information, um, just so much, and then suddenly make a massive leap. <laughs> um, but do it in such a way, like in such a a low key way, like they don't say, "Oh, I'm making a massive like yeah. revelation now." They like add it in as though it is part of the massive 
amount of verifiable information that they have given you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you're left stuck um, going, and they're going, yeah, but are you saying that Adam Weishaupt didn't write XYZ in 1790? Yeah, well, yeah, he did, but that doesn't mean that... You know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, this is a fun thing about conspiracy theorists. So they are still out there, bless them. Um, <laughs> Doing the most. Talking about it. So it doesn't go away completely, and it does, like, it comes back... Um, and interestingly, as we said, the um, Scottish Robeson says basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, which, although they didn't like each other, which I also find very funny, they both thought that much like Alex Jones and David Icke, like back in the what I consider to be the glory days of conspiracy theory, <laughs> um, Alex Jones and David Icke used to accuse each other of being CIA plants. Um, <laughs> who had been put they probably still do but they both claim that the other one had been planted to make conspiracy theorists look bad <laughs> <laughs> um and um Robeson and Burwell basically spend quite a lot of time sniping at each other and finding mistakes in each other's books and huffing yeah um Robeson's book is less fun to be honest um mostly because it's not as long um and it is primarily a vast description of the structures and workings of the Freemasons. Sure. Um, which is very, very boring. Yeah, because structures and uh, workings are pretty boring. It's one of those yes. things that you can kind of understand where this caught on initially because, number one, people are really bad at remembering that bad stuff happens on an epic scale all the time. Like, everyone... The French Revolution happened and everyone was like, what the fuck is going on? As if, like, England had all, yeah. also beheaded a king once upon a time. And that happens time yeah. and time again. We have very short memories. So it seems like this overwhelming, catastrophic thing that can't... shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be able to happen. So people are seeking an explanation for why it did. And then, on top of that, you have essentially a new thing which is someone peddling bullshit in a book about conspiracy <laughs> theory. So people don't have the tools to pick it apart. Like I was the, this week's, um, I think it was this week's or last week's, you're wrong about on, um, this is what it made me think of, about Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch. Yeah. Talked a bit about how part of the problem, why everyone thought that he was completely insane instead of just a little bit, a little bit, you know, off instead his Instead of just 75% yeah. insane, yeah. Because we didn't understand yet what people could do with videos on YouTube. We didn't understand YouTube. So the idea that someone could just clip a selected part of a whole interview and put it out of context on yeah. on the internet and that it wouldn't necessarily mean exactly what it seems to mean on its own was new. Like, no one knew how to pass that. No one knew how to, how to ask, like, oh, maybe I should watch the rest of the interview to see what the context for this moment is. Um, and now we know because that's been, like, 20 years. Yeah. The thing that I found really interesting about that was that they, they said there isn't that structure of response now. Like, yeah. now, if a clip goes viral, even if it only goes viral in a bit of the internet you're not on, there will be responses to it in places that you are on. Yeah. Um, that will be working to contextualise and explain it before you've even seen the video half the time. Yeah. Um, but that took a long time to develop. Yeah. Um, and... Now and that did not exist in the time when Tom Cruise was being a bit weird about his girlfriend on the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, um, he was existing within a context where something only happens once and it nobody watches it again. Yeah, the only people um, who, were, who would have seen that at all were the people who happened to watch that episode, and then if they didn't, if they missed it, they didn't see it because that's how yeah. TV worked before before then until that moment until pretty, much. pretty much that moment thankfully it didn't actually stick around that long as a theory um the reason that it was still kind of going is because after the bolshevik revolution in russia um conspiracy theorists picked it up again um and started picking up Burwell and particularly and then bolting bolshevikism and zionism mm -hmm. on because it's worth saying so that, that this... So after the Russian Revolution that the Illuminati-based conspiracy theories become anti-Semitic conspiracy theories? No, they become anti-Semitic almost immediately. Okay. Well, okay. there is a question about this. Because, so he writes his book, and then there is this letter called the Simonini Letter, mm -hmm. um, 
which is about 10 years later-ish, um, where he congratulates a guy called Jean-Baptiste Simonini, writes to um, Baruel, congratulates him on his book, and then says, "I what you've missed, though, is that uh, the Freemasons and the Illuminati are all backed by the Jews. Okay, good. Right. They got right <laughs> on there. Well done. Well done, Europe. Um, and Baruel is a bit like, yeah, okay. Um, but um, he basically um, is encouraged to look at Jewish history and then he kind of gets a bit into that after a while. Um, and so it almost immediately becomes anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Um, there is questions over how authentic that original letter is and when it was actually written. Mm-hmm. Um because it was passed around a lot at the beginning of the 19th century, um, mid-19th century, um, and then um, was considered to be or was cited as an influence in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is um, a kind of founding text of anti-Semitic 19th and 20th century, um, or 20th century particularly, Mm -hmm. conspiracy theory. Um, and is a foundation of anti-Semitic 20th century in general. Sure. Um, so there are arguments about who wrote it, whether Simonini is a real person, when it was written. Um, it was definitely exists from about 1806. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like its uh, latest possible. But it seems like, yeah, the Illuminati became anti-Semitic almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, Helped, incidentally, by the fact that um, one of the problems that Weishaupt has with the Freemasons and why he doesn't want to just be a Freemason is that they exclude Jews. Oh, um, wow. And, which he thinks is stupid. Yeah. Um, it's not wrong. And he thinks... That, yeah. Um, so he is um, actually extremely open to Judaism. He largely, I suspect, because they're not the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that does help him uh, help anti-Semitic theory along quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, because just being open to including Jews in your secret society means that you are secretly in league with yeah. Jewish overlords or some such nonsense. This is Europe at any time ever. Uh-huh. It has to be anti-Semitic somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so that is um, is all of that, which thankfully does die out, but... I'm going to very quickly do Books of Human Skin. Yes, just do the Books of Human Skin. We I can't. We, we talked about that. We can't let the people down. We can't let the people down. Okay, so the story goes that there is this um, gigantic tannery at Muden, which is filled with the skins of the victims of the guillotine. They're, during the terror, like 17,000 people were killed, which is quite a lot of people. A lot of people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and... The theory comes from um, a guy called the Abbot de Montgaillard, mm-hmm. um, who is a strong royalist um, and uh, strongly opposed the revolution. And he wrote a kind of epic history of France up until that he just kept writing up until he died in 1825. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he died and his son published it in 1827 um, and it seems to have been that he just kept writing stuff um, <laughs> that just whatever he thought of he propagated this story that um there was this tannery um and that um the republican generals and people of the new french republic were walking around sporting collots made of human skin Um, that there was a ball in the cemetery at Mudon where guests were all given human skin bound copies of the rights of man Mm -hmm. Uh, the the Duke of Orléans in particular had human skin trousers Uh and it contains quite a long footnote about um, how women's skin isn't as good for making clothes out of as men's skin (laughs) because it's too soft Because we moisturise too much. And at this point in history, all of our skin is covered. So we're not getting those hardy tans yep. that, that exactly. toughen you up. So it is soft and white and moisturised, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, But anyway, uh, the Abbot of Montgaillard might have been a bit bonkers. Um, or at the very least, like to think about these things. Or like to come up with the worst possible things that he could say about revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but that 
kind of got picked up and passed around and got turned into this um, fairly widespread belief, and which is still widespread. And if you Google it, you will find it as a kind of truism on the internet that um, tanneries were established where the skins of guillotine victims were turned into books. Mm-hmm. Um, and Can you imagine that- the actual founding of a tannery that was turning human skin into I know. Um, I mean, the effort, if nothing else. So much admin. Um, Yeah. But um, very pleasingly, there is um, a thing called the Anthropodermic Bibliopegy, because that's what binding things into human skin is officially called. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Anthropodermic Bibliopegy Project, um, which is a group of librarians and scientists... Um, led by um, Megan Rosenblum, mm-hmm. who are working to track down and test every single book that they can find, which claims to be bound in human skin. Um, and they have a process called peptide mass fingerprinting, uh-huh. um, which uses which analyzes the proteins found in collagen in skin. Yeah. Um, and each collagen protein is unique to species right so it can't so you, you can't can make tell. a mistake yeah mm-hmm. so you it's like a fingerprint basically and it's more durable than dna so it lasts especially in the tanning process mm-hmm. um so they can tell what species this the skin has come from when they're testing leathers mm-hmm. um and they have been tracking down every possible book that they can globally um to test um as many of them as they possibly can using this thing as many as they are allowed to test because they do have to cut a little bit off Mm -hmm. um and they have tested something like 50 books Mm -hmm. um and have found very few that are actually made of um actually made of human skin at all okay there is so some but not many yeah so they have found um the book is called that she has written, Megan Rosenblum, is called Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books bound in human skin. <laughs> they have not found a single one which claims to be from the French Revolution. Okay. Which, and they found several which claim to be um, revolutionary France human skin books. Um, and every single one of the ones that they have tested has been horse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, or lamb or something like that. Mm-hmm. But none of them have been human skin. There's one which they say they haven't tested because it is um, in a uh, museum in France, which is currently closed, called the Musée Carnavalet. Mm-hmm. Um which is a copy of the new constitution from 1793. They, um, it claims to be bound in human skin, but they won't let them test it. Okay. So um, that might be one, but every other one that they have tested has been not human skin. Um, and the only books, this is a fun aside, the only books, almost every single one that they have tested has been a 19th century um text which was made by a doctor okay sure so almost all she says every time i research a book i almost always find a doctor involved (laughs) okay um almost all of them and all of the ones that she can say definitively are uh, human skin are by doctors who um, took the skin off of bodies that they were dissecting. Okay, and then just put them on books for reasons. And um, put them on books for their own personal amusement, basically. Cool, cool. Not um, great, doctors. Not great. A lot of the book seems to be about how medical ethics were terrible in the past. <laughs> um, but I will put a link to a good article about her and her book from the LA uh, Review of Books in in the show notes um because it's very interesting yeah so it's but not basically not revolutionaries just the occasional weirdo doctor it's just mostly english and american weirdo doctors mm-hmm. um except one of the books um which is definitely human skin so the end of the book 
um, the Dark Archives one has a list of every single confirmed human skin book as of March 2020. Mm-hmm. There's about 30. Um, and one of them is called Mademoiselle Giron Moet. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I find pleasing by a guy called Adolphe Bello. That's, ver- that's um, very pleasing. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't the Illuminati, because the Illuminati were just weirdos who couldn't even agree with each other, let alone organise a conspiracy. Spoilers, couldn't even organize most a organisations. It's very difficult to get a consensus on anything. You could have a society of b- biscuits and they'd all be disagreeing all the time. It's true. Um, it's true. And, um, yeah, they couldn't even really organise that, uh, let alone a revolution. Yeah. And also, no to the books made of human skin, sorry. Yeah, well, I'm re- I, Turns I am, out I'm actually was... quite glad uh, that it's a no on the books made of human skin because yeah, that's no, that's that's a step too far. I think I'm glad about the Illuminati thing. I think David Icke has been right about enough things. We don't need him to be right about anymore. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice um, to put that one to bed. I'm really glad to find out the Illuminati were just a bunch of nerds who kind of wanted the world to be a bit better and weren't very reasonable about how they could achieve it. that. Yeah, I feel like they, I like that they put way more effort into naming things than they did to anything else. Yeah, it's very um, relatable. Very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's um, conspiracy theories about the French Revolution and also the origins of the Illuminati. Yeah, great. What are we talking yeah. about next time? Next time we are answering a question from Luke, um, who emailed this to us, and his uh, question is, where does our interpretation of Victorians as prudish and highly conservative come from? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the notion of Victorians as being big old prudes who can't even look at the ankle of a chair. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It will be fun. Um where can people find us, Janina, if they want to ask us a question? So you can find us at history60.com, where you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook. You can find links to our Kofi if you want to support us, and to our merch store if you want to buy cool t-shirts and such. Um, and yeah, there's okay. a nice wee contact form that you can put your own history question in, and we will eventually answer it. Eventually. Um, we answer most of them. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of questions. We have some subscribers now, so you can give us a one-off donation or you can subscribe and give us uh, three quid a month, which we greatly appreciate. Um, we have... I can't remember when the last time I read everyone's name out, but um, thank you to uh, Kirsten, to Matthias, to Sonny, to Joanna, Natalia, Liz, Samuel... Um, Someone who just wants to be Kofi supporter, you know who you are. Uh, Stevie, Sarah, Neve, Tris, Ness, Ida, Heinrich, Stefan. Sorry for all of the bad German pronunciation. Scott, Philip, Nils, Emily, Banshee Workshop, Valentin, and Amanda. Um, we appreciate you greatly, yeah, and I will thank you very much. Um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, so you can join them and eventually anything up to six months' time, I will thank you personally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, until next time then, Janina. Bye. Bye.